0: You know, this weekend we are wrapping up our message series on the letter of James, Winning Faith. And we're going to be talking about finishing strong. Back in the mid-1990s, the ultimate fighting championship sport really came onto the scene with a fighter by the name of Royce Gracie. Royce Gracie was a Brazilian mixed martial artist, and I loved watching him fight because he was usually smaller than his opponents. But Royce Gracie had the ability, no matter the size of his opponent, to wrap them up, get him into a special submission hold, and before you know it, his opponents were quickly tapping out. You know why? Because they couldn't go on. They quit. In the ultimate fighting championship sport, there's two ways to lose. Either you're knocked out or you tap out. You give up. You quit. And Royce Gracie, I believe, probably put more people into submission holds, caused more people to tap out than any other fighter in the ultimate fighting championship world. You know, and in the New Testament, we find a man that journeyed with Paul. We don't know much about him except that he tapped out, he threw in the towel, he gave up, and this man by the name of Demas, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. You know what Demas did? He quit. He tapped out. Why? Because he loved the world. Reading between the lines, Demas seemed to struggle with a divided devotion. His heart was torn. I believe in some level Demas loved Jesus. He journeyed with Paul. He desired to see the kingdom of God advance. But he also loved the world. And he allowed the love of the world to fester in his heart's which caused a divided devotion that ultimately separated him from God. Having more than one love in our life is a train wreck waiting to happen. Like Royce Gracie, to his opponents, multiple loves in our life puts us into a submission hold that wears us down to the point of giving up. And you know what? It happened so easily. I don't believe Demas just woke up one day and just said, you know what? I quit. I loved it while it lasted, but I'm done today. No, you know what I believe happened? I believe it was a slow fade. It was a slow process. While within his own heart, Demas struggled with his love for Jesus and his love for whatever it was in this world. And before you know it, he began to spend less time and less time with Jesus, spending less and less time focusing on the heart of Jesus, and more time desiring his lusts for this world, the things that he wanted in this world. And I bet we struggle with that too. But friends, we can't tap out. We are called to live for Jesus throughout our lives. We need to finish strong. We cannot give up. And like Demas, every one of us, at some level, has a divided devotion within our own hearts. I believe at some level, we love Jesus. At some level, we desire to honor Jesus. But in many ways, we love the things of this world as well. And that just becomes a war within our own hearts that we need to reconcile. Or if you're not careful, the slow fade will happen in your life and you will find yourself Tapping out by the submission hold of a divided devotion. We can't tap out. We've got to finish strong. And I bet it's safe to assume that there are several in this room who have been churchgoers for decades. And many of those who are in that position find themselves getting frustrated with our culture with the mindset that we tend to have that America is a Christian nation. We expect the culture to bend towards not just Christian values, but the Christian calendar as well. But it's just not happening anymore. I mean check out some of these scary and heart-shattering statistics from the Barna Group. You know the rise of churchlessness in America is becoming a very real thing. In the 1990s, 30% 30% of our culture was unchurched. It was still what would be called a Christian nation. In the early 2000s, that dropped to 33%. And in 2014, it continued to drop to 43% of our culture being unchurched. Today, of our culture in America claims to actively attend church. In other words, the majority of our culture has nothing to do with church anymore. And here's the other scary reality of that statistic. Of those 49% of Americans who claim they actively attend church, what they mean by actively is they go to church one time a month. And my friends... That's not active. That's the world has more of a foothold in your heart than Jesus does. It's a divided devotion. And this world is not tilted towards Jesus and his authority anymore. It's just not. Here's the reality check that we all need to have. And that is we are no longer the home team. We are not the home team anymore, and we need to stop thinking and operating like we are because we are not. We're not. Things need to change, and being the visiting team offers many challenges for those in the, in the game. You know, for those of you who played sports, you knew what it was like to walk into an opponent's home field and home turf, and the difficulties and the challenges from the crowd noise to the field conditions that they had at their home turf made it a challenge, and we see it all across the sports world. You know, a recent report from Bleacher, which is an online uh, sports uh, reporting agency, highlighted the top 10 home field advantages in sports today. You want to know what they are? First one is Arrowhead Stadium for the Kansas City Chiefs. Next is the AT&T Center for the San Antonio Spurs. The following one is the Center Bell uh, Arena for the Montreal Canadiens. Fourth is the Century Link Field for the Seattle Seahawks, followed by Lambeau Field for the Green Bay Packers. Next in line is Ohio Stadium for the Ohio State football Buckeyes team. Any fans, OH? OH? You guys are getting quieter and quieter with each service. There's the Oracle Arena Golden State Warriors, the Rump Arena for the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team the Stamford Bridge Arena for the Chelsea Soccer Club in England, and lastly is Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs. You know, at some point, those lovable losers had to be added at some list, right? So for all you Chicago fans, congratulations, you made the list. But it's not easy being the visiting team, is it? It's a challenge. And let's just be honest for a moment. It's getting more and more difficult Living for Jesus in our culture. seems like every single day gets more and more difficult. And like Demas, there's probably several, if not many, sitting in this room right now that are on the verge of tapping out. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't do what Demas did and run towards the lusts of this world, run towards the passions of this world. Don't do that. Don't quit. You know, I don't really know what happened to Demas beyond these verses. I don't know how his story unfolded. I don't know what happened the next day or the next month or the next year. All I know is this about Demas. He loved the world and he gave up and he left And reading between the lines, he missed out on his legacy. He missed out. All his legacy now is he is a man that quit because he loved the world. What legacy do you want to leave behind? We have to finish strong. We can't give up. We can't, and some of us really need to be honest in this moment. Is Jesus the home team of your heart? Is he the home team in your own heart, or is Jesus operating like the visiting team for you? I mean, what's your priority? What's your devoted? Are you devoted to him or something else stealing your heart? Where are you at personally? You know, going into James chapter, chapter 4, verse 17, James writes these words, if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. You know, when someone has your heart You will do whatever you can to honor that person with your choices, with your words, with your actions, and so on and so forth. Because you love them. You want to please them. You want to honor them if they have your heart. And this verse is really direct. It's not just knowing the right thing. It's not just about following the commandments and doing the checkoffs of your religious rituals. If you know the right choice, James says, if you know the right thing to do, if you know how you should do what you should do to honor him and you don't do it then you are wrong. You're sinning. You know one of the most popular sitcoms of the 1990s was Seinfeld. And in the show finale, the group found themselves in a small town in Massachusetts, waiting for a plane to be repaired. And while they were walking the streets, they saw a man across the street being carjacked. And instead of helping them, these New Yorkers stood by just watching and cracking jokes about what they were watching. And later on in the episode, they were arrested arrested under the Good Samaritan law for doing nothing to help. While I know many people were disappointed with the show's finale, I think this storyline raises a challenging point. You know, in many situations, we know the right thing to do. It's not rocket science. It's not like we don't get it. We know it. Yet we choose not to do it. And James says in those moments when you fail to act, when you fail to make the right choice that you know you should make, you're sinning that you're wrong you know i mentioned this before but it's worth uh, worth repeating And that is due to our sinful nature. And every one of us has a sinful nature within our own hearts. We all have a natural drift towards making poor choices of some sort. Every one of us. None of us are immune to that. Every one of us makes poor choices in our life. And the question in those moments that we tend to ask is, how much can I get away with before I actually sin? I mean, how much can I do before I actually go against the heart of God? And when I was a youth pastor, talking to the students about romantic relationships, the question I always was asked was, well, how far can I go before I actually have sex? How far can I actually go before I, before I cross that line? And can I just gently say to you that if you are asking that question, you are absolutely missing the point. You are so far out of lines with the reality of what it's all about. Because if you are saying, how far can I go before I go against God's will? Then you are revealing the divided devotion of your heart. Because in our life, it should not be, how far can I get away with before I make him upset? should be how much more can I honor him with who I am, with what I do, with what I'm all about, with the choices I make, with the words I use. Paul even said this in later points in the New Testament. He says, I know these things are permissible for me. I know I'm allowed to do this, but you know what? I am going to sacrifice that. I am going to choose not to do this, even though I'm allowed. Why? Because I love him more. And I want to honor him and be the best example in my life. Yet so often in our life, we are more concerned, well, this is my right to do this. And our hearts are being revealed of a divided devotion. It's not about what you feel you deserve or you can get. It's about how much more can I live a life to please this man that sacrificed everything for me because I love him so much. I want to honor him with all that I am. We need to finish strong. We cannot tap out. And in the closing chapter of James chapter 5, he highlights five qualities to how to finish strong, to honoring Jesus with our life. And we just want to highlight those as we finish out this message series. The first quality is generosity. Generosity. James writes in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You know, this passage really highlights the reality of a divided devotion. Because so often in our personal life, we ask the question, what's in it for me? If I do this, what is my personal gain? What do I get out of this? We're always trying to hoard more for our own selves and get more gain for our own life. You know, when I was a kid in junior high and high school, when it came to lunchtime, I learned the art of eating my French fries as fast as possible. I mean, I hoarded those things and gobbled them down. You know why? Because I knew if I was slow on my fries, someone around the table was going to grab them and eat them for themselves. And those fries were the prize. I love those fries. And in many ways, we live our life like this. We work And we fight so hard to keep what we feel is ours. To keep what we feel is our own to ourselves. Yet our treasures, they're not of this world. And when our focus is more on what I feel I can gain in this world, then we're losing out. We're missing it. We're missing the reality of what this is all about. This only leads to a selfish lifestyle. It causes us to cheat others and ultimately cheat God. And we're missing the point. And you know what selfishness really does? It strips any potential joy in your life away. That's what it does. And so where are you at? Do you allow selfishness to rule your heart? Because we get so focused and consumed on what's in it for us. But if you really want to find joy, joy is found in the acronym that joy creates. And that is Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. You want to find joy in your life? Then you live for Jesus with everything that you are. You honor him by doing good for others, and you put yourself last. But oftentimes, we live our lives in the reverse order. Then we wonder why we are never truly happy, why we're always down in the dumps, because we've lost the reality of how to have joy in our life. It's not about me. It's about putting others first. Joy is being others-focused. This is the heart of generosity. Not only do I not want to cheat others, but I am willing to take a loss to bless others, to be good to others. Generosity understands that what I have is not my own. It's not. Everything I have is a gift from God. Everything. You feel you've earned what you've earned by the talents you have? Well, God gave you those talents. You feel you earned what you earned because you got ahead in your work field? God gave you that opportunity. Everything that we have is a gift from God. And the more we understand that in our own life, the more we'll find joy in our hearts by living a life of generosity. But the more we allow selfishness and the divided devotion to rule our hearts and assume that I have what I have because of what I did, you're going to miss out on the joy that God wants to give to you. 'Cause it's all found in generosity. Understands that's not from me. You know, even to get more honest, you know what that means? When the Bible calls me to tithe, which means giving 10% of my income to the ministry of, of the church, I understand that this brings me into a deeper relationship with Jesus that's built on trust. It's saying, you know what, God, you take care of me. You provide for my needs. And so by doing this, I am saying, God, I trust that you'll always provide for me. And I actually have a part of being in the mission of what you are doing in this world. When I see others in need, I am willing to sacrifice to be a blessing to others. I am willing to say, you know what, I really want this, but I'm going to sacrifice my want to be a blessing to this person who has a real need in their life. That is a life of generosity. What it really means is that I fully get it that my treasure is not what i am storing up in my bank account it's not what i'm gathering in my treasures around the house but rather my treasures that i am storing up god is making for me in his kingdom that's made that the streets are made of gold so in other words my gain is not this world my gain is eternal There's something better on the horizon. And I'll give up all this for that. Because that's better than anything else I could ever imagine. You want to finish strong? Live a life of generosity. Secondly, the next quality is patience. James writes in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we, have, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, being patient, standing firm. These are a couple things that personally I don't like to hear. I don't like to deal with. Because I'll be honest, these are things that I personally struggle with. Finding patience in difficulty is so much easier said than done. And many times in pain, we find ourselves angry with God. We pull away from God for not answering the prayer, our prayers our way. And so often in these moments, I think about Job that was highlighted in this passage. A man who had it all. A man who had everything you could ever imagine. In his time, he was the richest of rich. He had all the possessions, all the wealth. He had a wife, the children, everything that we long for in this world, he had. And in one quick moment, Job lost it all. His possessions, his wealth, His kids died. He lost it all. But in his suffering, in his lowest of lows, Job revealed patience and the ability to stand firm through suffering. And in the end, this broken man praised God. He didn't quit. He finished strong. It's no newsflash. Life is, is hard life is difficult there is no doubt about it and many of us find ourselves trying to enjoy each day because honestly deep down in our hearts we have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring and when the storm hits it just seems like the waters just become so rough that we're drowning in the hurt and sorrow of this world and we have no escape but you know what the cool thing is in the New Testament in the Gospels there's a story of the disciples who found themselves in a boat hanging out with Jesus when a storm came in Jesus was sleeping the disciples were all getting nervous and freaking out when Jesus woke up and he calmed the storm And the Bible says that God is the same yesterday today and forever that same God in the flesh Jesus who calmed the storm that day has the same ability to calm the storms in our life today. He does. And because of him, because of Jesus, we can find the patience and the ability to stand firm in this crazy world. To stand firm and find patience when everything seems to be going opposite of what we desire you know, really to find that same ability like Job had, we need to seek God. We need to seek Him with everything we have every single day by praying, by spending time in His Word, hanging out with Him, learning more and more of His heart, and by constantly surrounding ourselves with other godly people like growth groups and other opportunities so that we can find the encouragement and accountability that we need in our life. We need to seek God daily if we want to find the patience and the ability to stand firm and always remember His promises. And always remember how he has come through. The Bible is chock full of God coming through in mighty ways. And you know what? If you're honest with yourself, you and your own story can say and highlight many different ways that God came through for you. And in my moments, when suffering hits, when uncertain news is on the horizon, what gives me the strength Is remembering how God came through for me personally in the past. Knowing that He has the ability to come through and His promises are real. He'll always come through for you, He always will. It may not always be what we want, but He's always going to come through for us. And with that, we can anticipate His coming. He's coming again soon. James wrote, The Lord's coming is near. It's coming. And with that, He is full of compassion and mercy. In other words, what God is bringing when He comes back is all good. And the craziness and the hurt in this world will be no more when He comes back. So be patient, knowing that Jesus is on your side. And we can move forward with him. Thirdly, the third quality is integrity. James 5 verse 12, it's written, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Condemned. C.S. Lewis once wrote, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is looking. Your integrity is your character, and your character is everything for you. You know, it's not really that great of a thing for you to make the right choices when people are watching for you. The mark of your character, the mark of what person you really are, is when the doors are closed and the quietness of your own home, what choices do you make then? that is the reality of your character that is the reality of integrity and that makes you who you are that matters it matters psychology today highlighted seven signs of integrity i just want to highlight some of these for you that reveals if you are a person of integrity integrity appears by parents who apologize to their kids for over punishing or over yelling at them the ability to go back to your kids and say you know what dad was wrong and i'm sorry that reveals integrity Integrity is revealed when bosses highlight their staff's accomplishments and downplay their own, not making it all about them and what they feel they've accomplished for the company. Integrity is revealed through married couples who absolutely boycott name-calling and other vicious behaviors within their relationship. Integrity is revealed by drivers who never, or let me give a caveat, almost never, use the horn, or drive aggressively down the parkway or other crazy driving areas. Integrity is revealed with people in positions of power who have has the ability to apologize when they make poor choices or keep their captive audience waiting for them. Integrity is revealed by anyone who gives another person the benefit of the, of the doubt when circumstances seem unclear, and finally, integrity is revealed by people who are willing to volunteer their time to serve. That's from psychology today that reveals some signs of a person who is a person of integrity. Integrity, bottom line, is others focused. It's a mindset of putting myself aside. It's a mindset of putting my selfishness aside for the sake of somebody else. For the sake of what God desires. And James took it a bit further by saying the mark of integrity is a person of their word. Letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Can I just ask you a question? Are you a person that other people can trust? Are you a person that other people look, hey, when this person says they will do something, when this person says yes, when this person says no, they're a person who keeps their word. Are you a person that other people would say, I can trust this person? You need to be real with that question. Because that is a mark of integrity. That is the reality of your character. Moving on, the next quality that James highlights is prayer. We need to be focused in our prayer journey with Jesus. In fact, James verses 13 through 18 of chapter 5 writes these words. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. You know, in any relationship— Communication is essential to develop intimacy. Intimacy is being real and honest and being completely open with the other person. That's all built on our ability to communicate. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is our communication line with God. It's building that relationship with Him of trust. Bottom line, prayer is this. It's unleashing our control to God to allow God to unleash His power for us. That's what prayer is. And, the, and James wrote, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And throughout the Bible, we see people making significant prayers and God coming through in powerful ways. Just like Elijah, who James highlighted. In a three-year drought, he prayed for rain. And God showed up. And we need to realize that God's got this. And I don't. And the more we understand that truth, the more we will be able to pray and unleash our control to God to allow Him to unleash His power for us. Because God's got this. We need to trust Him. Just like He did all throughout the Bible, and just like He has done in your life many times, I am sure. He can and will come through in big ways. We need to seek him. And we need to run towards his heart and allow him to show us the reality of who he is. Finally, the last quality that James highlights is influence. He writes in the final two verses of this letter, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I don't know about you, but this last verse really challenges me. He wrote, Whoever turns a sinner from their ways will save them from death. What this tells me is that as a follower of Jesus, every one of us is responsible for those we have influence over. And each one of us, whether you realize it or not, has influence over someone. So, how are you using your influence that God has given to you? Are you using it well? Are you using it to guide people and to save people from their ways? Or are you using it for your own personal gain and your own personal pleasures? You know, as a father, I look at my boys and I r- realize the influence that I have over them. And I cannot waste that. I have one shot. I can't waste it. So who do you have influence over? Who are you influencing? And how are you, inf- how are you using your influence Don't waste it. Don't miss your opportunity. Don't waste your influence. Life is bigger than you and me. Don't miss it. Use your influence well. The bottom line is this. The key to finishing strong is to live our life for Jesus, not for myself. You want to find the ability to finish strong? Live it for Jesus, not for you. And we're called to do that. So what are your priorities? I mean, think about it. If you knew that tomorrow is not coming and all you had was right now, how would you spend today? Your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with others, would you be spending more time staring at a screen, making sure you don't miss that next game? Or what would you be doing? What would be the most important thing to your life? Don't miss the opportunity that you have right now. You know, this past week was challenging for me. Because I, I went to Cincinnati to, fin- to visit an old college friend who has been battling cancer for a couple years. And a month ago, he was, he was been given two weeks to two months to live. And this was a difficult visit. But there's a couple things I learned. Number one, I knew without a shadow of a doubt He's ready to meet Jesus. He's okay if that's what God calls. But I also knew that this man, this father of three young children, all under the age of five, desperately did not want to stop being a dad. And what mattered to him now was not what was going on on the weekend college football games or the NFL cut-downs, what mattered to him now was taking every chance he had to spend with his kids, to loving his his wife well, and to being there for them. What would you do if you knew that tomorrow wasn't coming? You know, our lives are often defined by two dates. The date we were born... And the date we die. But in all reality, those dates don't mean nothing. What matters the most is that dash in the middle, because that dash is the life that you live. All of us have a different length of dashes. Some of us have longer dashes than the other, but we all just have one dash. What are you doing with your dash? What matters to you most in your life? I mean, when you're at the end, are you going to say, boy, I spent my dash well because I spent more time watching uh, football games? Or did I spend my dash well because I spent it most with the people I love, with serving Jesus, because I want to finish strong? How are you living your dash? Don't quit. Don't give up. Live your dash well. Because truth be told, we all tend to be faith procrastinators. All of us struggle with that at some level. Our priorities of this divided devotion tend to be focused on other things, other life happenings, other hobbies or things that we want to do. And we get stuck in the rut of saying, tomorrow I'm going to get back into the Bible and spend time with God. Tomorrow I'm going to spend more time with my kids. Tomorrow I'm going to get back to that email to Seth and get connected to a growth group. Tomorrow, I'm going to get back to Nikki and find a place to serve here at Impact. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. But what if all you had was today? What if all you had was right now? What would you do? Live your dash. Well. Don't quit. Don't allow the divided devotion of your heart to put you into a submission hold and tap out. Don't quit. Live your life as an offering and find the joy that God wants to give to you, that you can leave a lasting legacy that lasts beyond your dash. Paul wrote this just before he wrote about Demas deserting him. He wrote these words in 2 Timothy 4, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. What Paul is saying here is, I lived my dash well. I am finishing strong. I lived my life as an offering To God. And that's my desire. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But I want to live my life well. I want to live my dash the best that I can. I want to finish strong. I want to battle that divided devotion that's in my heart and always seek the one who gave it all for me. What about you? How are you living your dash? My friends, we've got to finish strong. Don't quit. Let's pray. Father, we God, we just come to you and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. Lord, you have given everything up for us, you provide all the rewards that we long. You give us the joy that we seek. But Lord God, so often we tend to get pulled in different directions. Our hearts are divided. And Lord, some of us are in submission holds. But Father God, right now, we just seek you. We long for you. Help us to live for you good. Help us to live our dash well. That we may live for you with all of our days and put the relationships in our life above ourselves. Lord God, may we run towards you and run towards your heart. We give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen.